Now, we talk a lot today about dull preachers. Maybe we need to speak more about dull listeners, huh? Lost people, they have deaf ears. But saved people can have dull ears. When I speak in different churches from time to time, I can tell you in a couple of minutes so much about that church and what it's like. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. Today we begin a mini-series from the book of Hebrews entitled, Growing Up in Christ. The goal of this two-week study is to prompt us to self-examination and determination whether believers are growing in their relationship with Jesus Christ or whether they are failing to thrive, spiritually speaking. Our first message is from Hebrews 5 and is entitled, Perpetual Infancy. I want to begin this morning in Hebrews chapter 5. If you have a copy of God's Word, follow along. We will start in verse 11. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. When I was a boy in our kitchen, my dad had on one of the door frames pencil marks where on occasion when he would give us haircuts, he gave us the haircuts. It was really pretty neat. He was an ophthalmologist, an eye surgeon for 50 years, but I think he had a hidden joy of cutting hair. And uh, he would give us the haircuts, many times just a buzz in the 60s, easy to do, just shave it all off and give him a little butch in the front. But then he would have us stand next to the door, and he would mark our height. And occasionally say, hey, I grew an inch. And he would get all excited about our physical growth. Well, God does not have a chart, so to speak, where he marks off our spiritual growth. But I know from Scripture that God monitors our spiritual growth, and he gets excited when we grow in the spiritual realm. And the Bible speaks much about growing up in Christ. The Apostle Paul said this to the Corinthian church, There we are exhorted, brethren, do not be children in your thinking, but in your thinking be mature. In like manner, when Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in the fourth chapter, he says, as a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried uh, about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Peter encourages us to grow when he writes, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk, and milk here is not in deference to meat, but the unadulterated, pure truth of God's word, like a newborn baby who longs for milk, we are to long for the pure milk of the word. Why? So that we can grow in respect to our salvation. In Second Peter, he likewise says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Now, the Bible teaches that when you become a Christian, John 1, 12 says that God gives you the right, the authority, the exousia, the power to be what you were not before. 
a child of God. A spiritual birth from above makes you one of God's children. Before that, in a creative sense, you're a child of God. But in a spiritual sense, you must be born again to be deemed a child of God. But it also teaches that when you have a spiritual birthday, you become a baby Christian, just like in the physical realm. We're not born as adults. We're born as little babies. And so we need to grow. Some time ago, Dr. Billy Graham, when he was still alive, stated that in his opinion, 90 to 95% of the Christians in America who have truly experienced the birth from above have never grown. They've just stayed the topic this morning, perpetual infants. And because they never grow, they lack the joy, the vim, the vigor, the fruitfulness that God wants them to know. Some people listening to me today are no further along spiritually than you were five years ago. But it is God's desire, just as we mature physically, that we mature spiritually. And that's the burden of the book of Hebrews, to encourage baby Christians to grow up. Now, while that's a central theme of the entire book, I suppose nowhere more precisely is that topic addressed than in this section of the writer of the Hebrews. The epistle of the Hebrews, if you've read it, it's written to God's people to realize that they have entered into a new era, a new deal, a new diatheke, a new covenant, a new testament. We divide the Bible into two halves, the old covenant and the new covenant. The word covenant or testament, of course, are synonyms in the Bible. And so under the new covenant, we have an opportunity to grow and mature through a birth that no Old Testament saint could have ever dreamed of. And the wonderful news is that when Christ saves you, he avails himself to you through the helper, God the Holy Spirit, to equip you and to come alongside so that you, in the midst of trials and temptations, can find spiritual growth. Now, one aspect of growing in our relationship that chapter 4 covers is that we are to come boldly to a throne of grace that we might find grace to help in time of need. In chapter 5, he continues the theme of the superiority of our high priest over the old deal, over the Old Testament, that Christ is the great high priest, and we have direct access to the Father through the Son. And he continues that theme here at the end of chapter 5 on into chapter 6 because he is concerned over the spiritual state of the people to whom he is writing. God wants his children to grow up. And if you don't grow up, you can spend decades missing God's best and God's plan for your life. Now, you can see there in your note-taking outline, and if you're online, there's a place there the person's monitoring the website and Facebook and other means will tell you how you can print out the outline. But you can see I've uh, divided our passage under two headings. The first heading deals with the problem of spiritual infancy, which he underscores in verses 11 to 13. And then when we come to verse 14, he'll turn a corner and he'll speak to the pathway to spiritual maturity. And so he gives us some very practical ways to get off the road of spiritual infancy. First, he reminds us that the spiritually immature are dull in their hearing. The fact that these new believers were stunted in their spiritual growth can be traced to three key problems. And the first is that the spiritually immature are dull in their hearing. Look at verse 11. Concerning him, 
We have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you've become dull of hearing. Now, this verse may seem a little confusing if you don't look at it contextually. Concerning him, and of course, the natural question would be concerning whom? Of course, the him that he's referring to is Melchizedek that he has just mentioned in verse 6 and then again in verse 10. In verse 6, the father, when referring to God the Son, quotes Psalm 110. And you will notice the capital letters there. Psalm 110 is a messianic psalm. And it is the number one most quoted psalm in all of the New Testament. Being uh, of his son, he says, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And then in verse 10, the writer again tells us that Christ is the one being designated by God as a high priest, how? According to the order of Melchizedek. And so the hymn here is this high priest named Melchizedek. Again, verse 11, concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. He's saying, there's a lot I want to tell you and to explain to you about this man, Melchizedek, but it's hard to explain. This explains why the writer will wait until chapter 7 to go deeper on the topic of Melchizedek. It's not because he was not knowledgeable, but the problem was their spiritual state. It was hard for them to comprehend. It's not that the message was impossible to understand, that it was too complex, But it was hard for him to explain it because they were dull of hearing. It takes thought. It takes concentration. It takes a heart in their behalf to want to hear the deep, meaty truths that he wants to explain. And it would have been proper, again, for him to have compared Christ in this order according to Melchizedek. But right now he has to hold off because he wants to identify what it is that is keeping them from going further with the Lord. Why is it so hard for him to explain it? Well, again, it doesn't stem from the fact that the Bible is impossible to understand. There are certainly difficult passages throughout the Word of God that are challenging, but not impossible. The problem with them was they were infants, and you don't speak to an infant on the same level that you would speak to a child, a teenager, or even an adult. And their perpetual infancy, he tells us, is related to the fact that they were dull, dull in their hearing. You should circle that word dull in the text. It's made up from two Greek words, nothros, that literally means no push. These were Christians with no push. You could paraphrase it thick, slow, sluggish, idle, lazy. In fact, when you come down to verse 12, that same Greek word is translated sluggish. That you may not be sluggish in chapter 6 and verse 12, but imitators of those who through faith and practice inherit the promises. Uh, The word is used outside of the Bible in first century common Koine Greek of of a lion whose limbs were numb from disease. And so they were of no use. They had no push. The word is used in the Septuagint. Most of you see the references in the New Testament, LXX in the margin, meaning this is a quotation from the Greek translation instead of the Hebrew, but the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And throughout Proverbs, like in Proverbs 22, 13, this same word is used to describe the sluggard. So God doesn't want us to be sluggish. He doesn't want us to have no push. 
He wants us to be growing in our understanding of spiritual truth. So they couldn't understand, not because they didn't have the mental acuity to, to grasp it, but they were dull. They didn't have the ears in which to hear it. And it's sad because there are many people like that today. Sluggish people, sluggish Christians. Again, concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Some of you teach professionally for a living. That's what God has called you to do in this life. Some of you are gifted by God at your spiritual birth to teach the body of Christ. In either case, you know there's a great difference between a classroom of students who have no interest in the material and those that are hungry to learn. And so a teacher's overall approach to the classroom is largely dependent sometimes on what the students are like. And if the students have an attitude, I could care less, kind of yawner students, that's what these people were. He wants to go into this deep explanation about the priesthood of Christ, about this guy named Melchizedek, a powerful, powerful king and priest of God that's described in the book of Genesis. I have a whole sermon just on him in our Genesis series. But he couldn't teach them these things because they were dull listeners. Now, we talk a lot today about dull preachers. Maybe we need to speak more about dull listeners, huh? Lost people, they have deaf ears. But saved people can have dull ears. When I speak in different churches from time to time, I don't like to be gone from the pulpit on Sunday, so most of the invitations I receive, I reject. But usually when I'm gone, I'm preaching somewhere. And when I do, I can tell you in a couple of minutes so much about that church and what it's like. I can tell you whether they are hungry for the things of God by two things. Number one, how they sing. When there's an enthusiasm in the singing, that usually is an indication of a well-taught church that has listened. But two, when you just get up to preach, are they clock watchers? Are they yawners? Are they sitting on the edge of their seat? Or are they dull listeners? And I've met some Christians who have sat under some of the finest Bible teachers for decades, but they are no more spiritually mature than someone who just met Christ six months ago. And what impresses me is when someone shares their testimony, and not so much, well, I've been saved for 40 or 50 years. I think what impresses me, because it impresses God, is how much have they grown in those 40 to 50 years? You might ask yourself, how much more am I like the Lord Jesus today than I was a year ago? How much more do I like spending time in the presence of the Lord than I did a year ago? God doesn't want you just to grow older. He wants you to grow up. I met a man recently who is live streaming our uh, basic discipleship course from another state. And he told me, he said, Pastor Carl, I can't wait to tune in. I'm learning so much. God is changing my life. I wish I had heard this material a long time ago. It was obvious that he was hungry for it. Now, I get it. Some of you can't come here on Wednesday nights. You have to work. Some of you have more critical, important uh, commitments that you need to complete on a Wednesday evening, though it's always available online, and you can listen to it at your leisure. But some of us have become so dull of hearing that we're not even consistent in our Sunday morning gathering with the people of God. Why? Because we yawn in the face of Almighty God, like His truth is somehow boring. 
And so that's what this man is dealing with. This is, by the way, what we call the orphan epistle. We don't know who wrote it. Now, there was one edition, only one publisher of the King James in the early part of the 19th century, and they wrote the epistle of Paul according to the Hebrews. No other King James publisher did that. But we know Paul didn't write it. We know that just from things within the book. But we don't know who wrote it. And it's really the only book in the New Testament whom we do not know for sure who the human author was and how appropriate. Because this book is on the excellency of the Lord Jesus and of his greatness. And it's like God wanted the human author just to fall into oblivion. But unfortunately, some of these people were, quote unquote, professional listeners. And we have people like that. They come and their eyes are open. They maybe even nod their head and say an occasional amen, but they're really not listening. I mean, the lights are on, but nobody's inside. That's what's going on here. Concerning him, Melchizedek, we have much to say. It's hard to explain because you have become dull of hearing. Notice the word become. The implication of that word is they weren't always that way. There was a time when they were once alert, when they were intensely interested. Listen, you don't start out dull. You become dull. It's a condition that is self-imposed. And immaturity in Scripture is often placed back on the listener, on the believer. Look, I know there are pastors who don't open the Word, and some of the people are starving. But God is bigger than whatever our circumstances are, especially in this day, where unlike first century Christians, we hold a printed copy of all 66 books of the Bible And we have access to Bible teachers across the world. But if we have a take-it-or-leave-it kind of attitude, we've become dull of hearing. And I fear, sadly, that the average Christian in America has become that way. Listen, if you come to church and five minutes into the sermon, you tune me out. You are dull of hearing. If you're looking for a church where, look, after 15 or 20 minutes, you're beginning to get antsy. You've become dull of hearing. You say, I've got my day and I've got my things to do. That's a dull listener. And when the sound of God's word no longer stirs you and excites your heart, you become dull of hearing. When your adult Bible fellowships, when we're able to meet, though some of them are doing it online, and you could really care less, you become dull of hearing. When your quiet time is dull and you just do it to check off a box, you've become dull of hearing. So that's the first manifestation that these people were suffering from spiritual infancy. They were dull in their hearing. But there's a second characteristic brought out in verse 12, and that is the spiritually immature are delinquent. They are delinquent in their teaching. Look now at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. Now, I think we need to take a moment to talk about what God meant when he said, by this time, you ought to become teachers, because the question invariably comes up, how do you put Hebrews 5, verse 12, together with James chapter 3 and verse 1? Let me read to you what James said. James wrote, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. James is speaking to my brethren, that is, those who name the name of Christ, born-again brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the obvious question is, how do you take this negative command, let not many of you become teachers, 
with this command from the writer to the Hebrews where we are told that we're immature if we haven't become teachers. Add to that what we've studied in the last several weeks on the subject of spiritual gifts, that God gives spiritual gifts as he chooses. And one of the gifts he gives is the gift of teaching. And another gift that he gives is the gift of pastor teacher. You will remember, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 11, but one and the same spirit works all these things. He's talking about spiritual gifts distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Four times in one way or another in the New Testament, God says he gives spiritual gifts to his people on the day they are born again as he chooses. In other words, you and I have nothing to do with it. God determines these grace gifts. He doses them out as he chooses so that there's balance and the needs in the body of Christ are met. And of course, Peter said... In reference to your spiritual gift, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So knowing, let not many of you become teachers, we know that he can't be referring to the gift of teaching or the gift of pastor teacher, because if God has given you that gift, he chose you for that purpose, and he expects you to use that gift or whatever gift you have in serving the body of Christ as a steward. And above and beyond those who are gifted in this way and those who have the responsibility, there's the office of teaching. And that's really what James is dealing with. Those who serve in the office of teaching. Some are called and gifted by God to earn their living through the ministry of teaching the word. Now, let me say there's a difference between the responsibility and the office. The writer of the Hebrews is dealing with the responsibility. James 3.1 is dealing with the office. Paul, like Peter, is dealing with the spiritual gift. Think your way through this. For instance, if someone is qualified to serve as an elder of the church, among other things, uh, Titus 1.9 says he must be able to exhort in sound doctrine. That is, he's supposed to be able to take the Bible and relate it to life. Uh, the scripture also says in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 2 that an elder must be able to teach. Again, that's the responsibility. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? Because of what God says in other passages, the best interpretive scripture is scripture itself. Jesus spoke of those who are in the office, those who teach for a living, that the worker is worthy of his support. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 4, 14, it should say. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. He said in 1 Timothy chapter 5, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Implication, not every elder is called to earn his living from the gospel. Not every elder is gifted to stand in a pulpit like this and to preach the word of God. But if he's an elder, he has the responsibility to be apt to teach, able to exhort in sound doctrine. Why? Because that's a mark of spiritual maturity. And so distinguish in your mind the given responsibility, the spiritual gift, and the office, because those are three distinct things in the New Testament. So James is saying, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren. 
Why shouldn't we clamor to proclaim the word of God? When a young man says, I, I think maybe God's calling me to preach. It's wonderful when I hear that. But I want to encourage them to proceed carefully and slowly to make sure God has really called them to preach. Knowing that, James says, here's the reason. Knowing that, as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. He's speaking of the future judgment that every Christian will face. It's called the Bemis seat of Christ, the reward seat of Christ. It's the judgment of the just. It's not the great white throne judgment where only unbelievers are present. The Bema seat of Christ takes place in heaven. And those who stand in a pulpit like this and teach the word of God, the scripture says, will incur a stricter judgment. Look, I spent a lot of time, usually no less than 24, 25 hours before I step into this pulpit. I've been doing it for 40 years. Why do I take that so seriously? For the simple reason that I don't want to misrepresent God. I don't want to take some passage and say it means this when it doesn't. I don't want to misrepresent God's word knowing that when I speak on behalf of the Lord and say, this is what the text says, knowing that I'm going to incur a stricter judgment. So there's coming a judgment, and it's not just for preachers, it's for everyone. Each one of us will give an account of himself to God for every born-again believer. We will stand, in essence, eyeball to eyeball with Christ. He will test the quality of our works, what sort it is, whether it be gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or stubble. And when tested with fire, he will evaluate each and every work that we've done. So the judgment that James is talking about is not salvation. It's service. And, of course, your service for Christ makes a difference, not only in the coming thousand-year reign of Christ, but throughout all of eternity. You are becoming, for eternity, by the way you are willing to serve the Lord today. So James is not contradicting the writer to the Hebrews. He is dealing with people whom he will say in chapter 6 who need to press on to maturity. Look again at Hebrews 5 and verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. I have it underlined in my Bible four times over. It's the word you. And it's not you singular. It's the second person plural. That's one of the advantages of Old English and that they distinguish between the singular you and the plural you. This is the plural you. In other words, you could say y'all ought to be teachers. You all should have grown up by now. You all should have reached a point where you were sound enough in doctrine such that you could teach others as well. You see, as you mature in Christ, you learn to answer basic questions that people will ask you. And he had expected these people, in that sense, to become teachers, not formally as pastors, not to have had the gift of teaching, because that's determined by God, but this responsibility to carry it out. Being able to teach others about Jesus, the gospel, and about the Bible is a sign of maturity, and it's an overflow of growing up in Jesus Christ. Tomorrow we'll continue our look at Perpetual Infancy, part of our mini-series from the book of Hebrews entitled, Growing Up in Christ. To listen again to this or any of the messages from this series, use the Search the Scriptures app, 
or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program GIC1. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you'd like to help sustain this ministry, click the Give button on our app or at searchthescriptures.org or call 877-787-7478. Thank you. Tomorrow, Part 2 of Perpetual Infancy. Join us then as we search the Scriptures. (laughs) 